All right. Thank you, guys. Awesome job. A little pause. Well, good morning, church. How are you doing this? Might rain, I hear, November morning. Welcome to The Rock. If you are new uh, with us, as Brian said, we would want to extend an extra warm welcome, and we are just glad you're here. Those of you that are regular, you knew that I was teaching, you still showed up, so I am thankful for that. Um, my name's Rob Selleck, and I get to spend most of my time with Doug upstairs um, doing the youth and the children and stuff, and uh, we just love that. Serve with a wonderful team. Um, Pastor Mark and Terry are back, so we're welcome. Uh, glad about that. <clears throat> We did pretty good while you were gone, but it's just not the same. So you guys had a good trip, I hear. They were in Paris, but several days before what happened. So we're glad that you guys are safe and back. And as a church, I think uh, we would all be in agreement that we would want to keep them in our prayers. What's going on over there and everyone involved. Doug, winter camp, cool stuff, man. I wish Doug wasn't here because I want to brag about Doug just real quick. I don't want to take too much time on you, Doug. Doug just finished like a 14-week series on Sundays in the book of James. And then on Wednesdays, he's finished about a 10-week series on the attributes of God. And I've taught both of these. I've taught James and I've taught the attribute study. And now with Doug, I'm kind of sitting in the back of the room watching Doug. And um, cover your ears. And I'll tell you, it's, 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 it's a blessing because I sit there and I watch Doug and I see him preaching and challenging and so accurately articulating God's word and will for our children. And I have two teenagers now getting old. And I have to hold back, just sitting there in my little, I sit on a bench and I have to hold back my, that thing in your throat, you know. And I'm sitting thinking, man, we are blessed to have Doug Atterbury. The Lord provision on our church is strong. And, and he is wonderful. If you haven't had a chance to get to know him, I'll stop bragging about you in a second. Get to know him. He's teaching men's breakfast every so often. He just did Rock of Ages. I heard he was all right there. So anyways, enough about Doug. I'm sorry, but I love you, brother. And I wish you weren't in here and I'd brag about you behind your back. Today, we're going to continue on in this study of Psalms that Pastor Mark started us on. And I have to admit, when we first announced we were going to Psalms, I'm like, oh, that'll be interesting. How will that look? Because I I guess it was my fault. I I think I had a shallow view of the book of Psalms. I'm thinking, well, how much can we draw out of that? How many weeks are we going to spend here? And I'll have to tell you, it was me that was wrong, and I've been floored every week. Mark going through this, Dave, last week, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is rich. There's a lot here for little old me to understand. We all need the Jonathan, the banners. I mean, so much good content. So hopefully you guys have been enjoying that. I have. Thank you for that. And today we're going to look at Psalms 23. Quite possibly the most recognized chapter in the entire Bible. If not for sure, the Old Testament. Many of you might have memorized it when you were younger if you grew up in the church. Or you've heard it on a movie or a TV or at a funeral. It's popular for a reason. It's popular because, first of all, it's comforting. It's encouraging. It's really well written. It it flows. It reads nice. 
But I think the biggest thing, the most profound thing about this chapter, and we're going to see that hopefully clearly today, is that it really shows us who God is. And that's not a little thing, because for us as humans, to understand who God is is really the beginning of understanding who we are. For us to get a a glimpse and to grow in the, the depth of His holiness and His purity and His provision and care and love and grace and mercy for us. When we start understanding Him, it is at that point we can start understanding ourselves. And David walks us through that beautifully. He's going to take us through several scenarios. We're going to see God and we're going to see us kind of traveling through life. And there's going to be low points, there's going to be high points, there's going to be the hard times, the good times, the peaks, and then the valley. And we all know what that is. We've all journeyed through that. But as our situations and circumstances shift, again, we're going to see God, goodness, is consistent. That He watches over us absolutely. And that promise is reliable. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 23, the book of Psalms. And you're already there. I'm telling you, 180 is not that way. I've got to like, ask him like three, four, five times. Come on, guys, get your Bibles out. Thank you. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want you to prepare our hearts for this time. Lord, that we might receive your word. Lord, that we might leave here with a better understanding of who you are an understanding that would change the way we are. Lord, let us grow in that knowledge. So remove any distractions, Lord, that we might hear from you and see you, be taught from you, and that we might then obey you. So purify our minds, Lord, cleanse our hands for this time. It's in your Son's name we all pray. Amen. Hey, I didn't get that last night. I'll share. (laughs) Psalms 23. um, I told you there's God and we're going to see ourselves. And it's really an interesting chapter. If you look at like verse 2, it's kind of this he and me, right? He makes me. He guides me. He restores me. It's this he he and me relationship. But verse 1 is really the key. So I want to spend a little bit of time on verse 1. It says, you probably know it. How many of you know verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We all recognize that verse, but have you really stopped and thought about what that verse is saying? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I want us to look at that verse in those kind of broken up in three departments like that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They all work together. It's almost circular but they're all kind of hinged one upon the other. So we've got to start with the Lord, a term we're all familiar with, right? The Lord or king. In David's time, he understood this word, this title, this position, probably a little more intimately and with a little more authority than we do. In his time, a king or a lord had absolute authority. There was no veto with the king. They had absolute authority over everything. They could speak law into existence. 
authority over your land, your job, your kids, your spouse, your life. So he's painting this picture, reminding us that the Lord... Now, see, we all have a throne in our life. And what David's saying is that God is Lord. And in our lives, for this whole chapter that we're going to look at, we have to get this right here. That there is a throne in all of our lives. There is lordship in all of our lives. And he is saying that we need to understand what this term Lord is, and we need to make sure that God ends up there. That means when we put God there, that we put ourselves underneath that. And we align ourselves with what his will is. And when we put God in his proper place, something amazing happens. Then he says, is my shepherd. When I put God correctly, when I align myself under his will, I become subservient. In essence, king, I make myself a slave. Wow. To soften it, a bondservant. Through my actions, I declare who's king. When we put God there, we've got to understand this. Then it says, the Lord is, then he becomes my shepherd. That is awesome. Lord and Savior. Lord and my shepherd. See those connections? See how this is working? It leads us to shepherd. Another interesting word. Out of all creation, God created everything. Therefore, God knows about everything. Fair? So, God calls us a certain type of animal. Don't give it away if you know yet. But I want you to think about this. If God calls us a certain type of animal, he had all of creation to make this comparison with. He could use anything. He knew everything on this planet, and yet he chose one certain animal to say, here's what I want you to relate yourself with. Here's kind of how I look at you. There's over 150 different animals mentioned in the Bible. 150. There's whales and camels and peacocks and stuff. There's tigers and lions and bears. Oh my. There's gazelles and foxes. And I'm thinking, well, some of those would be kind of flattering to be called a bear, a fox, a deer, right? But he calls us, who knows? Sheep. <laughs> Good sound effect. Sheep. Out of all of it, he knows everything. He could use anything he wants. He says, but no, this one's just right to describe you guys. So what I thought I, I would do is study sheep, and, and I assembled quite a lot of information about sheep that we're going to walk through because David wrote this, and he's a shepherd. He knows sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. What's significant about that with us being sheep? So, so I thought, well, let's understand sheep. What are their tendencies? What are their vulnerabilities? What are their characteristics? That might help us unpack this. So I've got some information about sheep. Let's have us a look. Sheep. Sheep will eat and drink anything. We're all relating. But sheep will eat and drink anything, even if it makes them sick. And 
When they're done being sick from what they've eaten and drinking, guess when they're done being sick? They go back and eat it again. Sheep will overeat even something healthy until they get sick. Just keep eating and eating until they get sick. And when they get sick, guess what they'll do? Go back and even eat the healthy thing. Sheep wander aimlessly. They have zero sense of direction. From what I've read and understood is you could put a sheep in essence in this room and have those doors open and they would just wander out with no consciousness of where they're wandering and would have a hard time getting back into this room. Sheep. Flattering, isn't it? All right, here's another one. If sheep fall, do we have a picture of sheep? It it helps. If sheep fall on their back, I mean, on their back feet, they cannot get themselves back on their feet. They just, it doesn't work. And worse than that, it doesn't just leave them on their back as prey, just flailing. How their digestive and intestines are plumbed, they'll actually start accumulating gas and they will die within two hours. Crazy. Flattering, isn't it? Sheep, they're prone to fall and to slip. They're not sure-footed, especially around water, which is problematic. See all that wool? When that wool gets wet, it absorbs a lot of water and it weighs a lot. So sheep, when they wade in water or slip in water, they have a tendency to get more and more wet, which accumulates more and more weight, which makes it harder and harder for them to get out. So just by default, they're prone to drown. Sheep have no defense. See those little hoofs? Those aren't claws. They're just hoofs. Little, short, stubby, dull hoofs. See those things on its head? Those are not horns. Those are just ears. No defense. Their teeth? No fangs. Just short, little, stubby, flat, dull teeth. They don't even have a tail to defend themselves from flies and gnats. They don't even have a bark. What noise do they make? Daniel did it for us last night. Uh, Very threatening. The only defense a sheep has, ready, is to run. Problematic again, because they're not fast. Not only are they not fast, they have almost no endurance. And they're clumsy. They're not good runners in the first place. But we're sheep. Sheep will follow each other off the edge of a cliff to death. I researched this a little bit more, and these weren't just Bible time sheep that did this. Modern day sheep still fall off cliffs. You can Google this. In 2005, 1,500 sheep went off a cliff. 
the shepherds stepped aside to eat breakfast. As they're cooking their eggs, they look over and off the cliff. Out of the 1,500 that went over the cliff, 450 of them died. Because by the time 450 hit, there was a fluffy pad. It's a true story that the other 1,050 hit and rolled down and survived. <laughs> I read that if you have a herd of sheep and you put a board, they can't really jump, so it's got to be just the right where they kind of have to hop over. And the herd's hopping over the board. You pull the board out, the rest of the herd will still hop at that same point. They just follow blindly. There's not too much going on. Sheep will do nothing to cleanse themselves. Most animals will try to bathe or roll or to scrape on a tree to do something. They'll try to lick themselves. Not sheep. Sheep literally just remain filthy until the shepherd comes and cleanses them. Sheep are stubborn. They're hard-headed and not the brightest animal. And it's interesting that God calls us sheep. He makes this connection. And what's frightening, he doesn't just make this connection a couple times. 186 times in the Bible we are called sheep. But think about it. Like sheep, oftentimes we can be our worst enemy. Sheep are one of the few animals that need a shepherd to survive without even being preyed upon. They need a shepherd to survive. So I was thinking about it, and as much as I didn't want to admit it, we really are like a lot like sheep. Think about it. We eat and drink things that aren't good for us. Even to the extent it makes us sick. And sometimes after we're done being sick, we'll go back and eat and drink more. We input things into our eyes and our ears, into our lives that we know aren't good for us, that make us sick, and yet when we're done, we'll go back. And we'll do it again and again. Like sheep, we tend to get ourselves lost in this world. Us guys don't like to admit that. It's okay. But like sheep, we, we, we kind of roam around oftentimes with no true sense of direction. Like sheep, we too can fall onto our backs and not get up. We need assistance. I've been there. You know, I don't know what to do now. I feel stuck. I feel vulnerable. Like sheep, can we not find ourselves in some pretty deep water? I mean, wow, how did I get here? I feel pretty heavy. I feel like I'm being bogged down. I feel like I'm on the verge of drowning. Yeah? Like sheep. Can we not also find ourselves following the herd, chasing the latest craze, even if it takes us to or over the edge? I mean, in full pursuit of the things that this world has to offer us. And like sheep, aren't we a little stubborn? A little hard-headed? Can't we become a little filthy and dirty in need of some cleansing? 
think about it, as, as humbling as it is, we are a lot like sheep, but there's good news. We're not just sheep. We are his sheep. And the reality is, like sheep, we need a shepherd to survive. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. See, and it's critical we understand that before we move on tonight. We need to understand who we are, what our vulnerabilities are, what our characteristics are, because we're called sheep. So we go back to verse 1. The Lord, we talked about that. We've got to put Him in His right place in our lives. And, and when we put Him on the throne of our lives, He becomes our shepherd. Understanding who we are as sheep, that's a really good thing. And when He's our shepherd, the rest of verse 1 says, then I shall not want. And why shall I not want? Because He is my Lord. And as my Lord, He's my shepherd. Therefore, He will take care of me. Why? Because I'm in the midst of His will and I'm focused on what He has for me because He's my Lord. See how it's circular? So whenever we go to the rest of the next five verses, if we get off track, if we don't believe the promises being communicated to us, then we need to go back to verse 1. Verse 1 is key. The rest of this chapter hinges upon verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord, the shepherd, and the lack of my wants, they're all tied together. Make sense? We feel good about moving on? All right, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If we knew sheep, we would know that sheep can literally die, get this, from just sheer exhaustion because they won't simply lie down and rest. Several things have to happen in order for a sheep to simply lie down and rest. One of them being they must feel at peace. They must be free from fear uh, and torment. They must have a peace among the herd. They're finicky like that. And the second thing is they must have a full belly. They must be satisfied. A disturbed, a hungry sheep will not lie down and rest. So when you see a sheep lying down and rest, that means that he has security and his tummy is full. And just like the good shepherd leads his sheep to fresh green grass, the Lord leads us, his people, to the same. God's pastures for us are always well-placed. They're always laid in God's good hands. One who follows the Lord will not have misnourishment on our spiritual feeding. And I think all of us know that this world offers plenty of dry pastures for us to find ourselves in. Plenty of rock piles to get lost in out here. There's plenty of barren land, but not with the good shepherd. The one who follows the good shepherd is always in the green pastures. Always plenty of faith for, or food for our faith to feed on. Because why? His word never returns void. And food for the soul is the word of God. It is fellowship like we're doing. It's prayer, it's communion, it's praise. And I love the fact it says he, he makes us lie down. He doesn't let us pass through these green pastures. But he, he lets us lie down. He lets us abide in them. John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. It's the green pastures. He makes me lie down. 
in the green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. See this relationship, he and me? He leads me besides these quiet waters. Sheep are frightened by turbulent waters. They can easily, on the opposite end of the spectrum, get sick by stagnant waters. But God leads his people to the quiet waters. Not the standing waters, which is corrupt and gathering filth. Not the troubled seas. Not the rapid, roaring floods. But to the silent, purling waters. Sounds good, huh? The waters that are still but running, that flow from God, yet do so silently. And we see in verse 2, in this metaphor we're using with sheep, that God's taking care of our primary first two needs, food and water. The good shepherd. Verse 3, He, look at the relationship here, He and me, He restores my soul. And I have to say, this is probably the sweetest for me, part in this passage. If it was just, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he restores my soul, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It seems like that would be sufficient. We have a shepherd who not only takes care of us and protects us, but he restores our soul. When we are heavy laden, when we're burdened, when life's bruises are are evident all over our bodies, when we're down and out, he says, I'll restore your soul. And I think we understand that as people. We like to restore things. We do it with all kinds of things. Old cars, houses, furniture. Right? We take things. That's what restoring is. Take something that's old and used and, and in less than ideal shape and, and we restore it and make it to new or better. That's what he says he does for us. He restores us. He makes us new in him. Remember that sheep on his back, unable to get up? That's what it means by being down and out, thinking, how did I get here and how do I get out of here? I can't. He says, the shepherd comes and sets him upright. Here, get back up again. Gives him a little pat. You're all right. It's powerful. He restores my soul. David knew what this was. David sinned, yeah? He was that little lost sheep that was, that was lost and that strayed from the fold. And he knew intimately what it means to have a shepherd restore him. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. Now it's interesting, the he and me again, but he now guides. It doesn't say he drives us. It doesn't say he herds us or coerces us or constrains us. But he guides us. He leads. We must follow. Now remember, sheep aren't these sure-footed animals anyways. They're kind of clumsy. And what it's saying here is the shepherd wants to encounter the danger first. He wants to mark out the path of safety for us. We must follow. Now think about this. He guides me in the path path of righteousness. If there's path of righteousness, deductive reasoning, that means there's also path of unrighteousness. There's a lot of paths for us to walk on. He says for you and for I that he will mark out the path that he has chosen, that he has picked. And I have to admit, sometimes when I'm on these paths, I sit there and think, man, I wish I was on that path. This path right now seems like I don't know if I like where it's going. I don't like where it's at. But it's the path that, that he 
set out for us. It's not always the easiest path, but it's the best path. The Lord said to some religious leaders in John 10, 25 through 27, these leaders were actually his enemies. And he responds to him, he says, I told you and you do not believe. The work that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Sheep will follow their own shepherd. It is exactly how you can tell what sheep belongs to what shepherd. They did not have collars or ear tags back in the day. In fact, they had these like master pins that would hold multiple herds. And, and oftentimes if the shepherd needed a break or to go into town or to get cleaned up, they would meet and put all the sheep in this master pin. And they could hold, you know, three, four, five different flocks in this pin. And that would alleviate the responsibility for a time. And then the shepherds could come back and their sheep totally intermingled. And they could just stand on different sections and they would just start calling out. And this multi-herd of sheep would slowly start unweaving itself because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They hear it and they follow it. And and all the sheep would be separated and they go back out on their own way. Jesus does not say drives his sheep. He leads them. We must hear his voice and we must follow. Where he's going to lead us is to the paths that have been marked out by him. They've been checked by him for our safety, for our good, even when we don't understand it. For this all to happen, our eyes must remain on him. The Lord has to be our shepherd. And then it ends this verse. It's beautiful. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. And he seals up all these wonderful promises for his name's sake. Guaranteed and sealed by the name of God. You can depend on these reliable promises for his name's sake. In fact, he was so confident about this when he transitions into verse 4. Because verse 4, man, he just really is going to give it to us but he's so confident about that god is good and his provision and his guidance is 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 trustworthy that it allows him to go to verse four and he goes even though for his name's sake but even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil why because of his name's sake these promises are reliable they're trustworthy even though i'm in the peril of death even though i feel like i'm in the midst of danger I can proclaim I fear no evil. Now Jesus tells us and warns us that as his followers we will face hardship and persecution and rejection. That would be the valley. In verse 4 there's two words I'd like to point out. If you're an underliner, maybe you would underline them. I, I don't know if these words would stick out to you, but to me they're, they're so important. It says, even though I walk through you ever thought of what that word means? Can you imagine if that word was a different word, even though I'm stuck in the valley? Even though I'm wedged in the valley? Even though I'm wandering aimlessly in the valley? But God's word says, even though I'm going through. It's powerful. The valleys will come, but for believers in Christ, there's hope. We will get through. There is light at the end of our tunnel. 
1 Peter 1.27, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring Word of God, the Word of God stands forever. Thank God for the Word through. We can fear no evil, for He is with me. We will walk through it. We will not be lost in this valley. We will have to walk in it, but we will get through it. The second word, I find that is just fascinating. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. Have you ever noticed that word? It's the shadow of death. Let me ask you a question. Can a shadow of a serpent strike and bite you? Can a shadow of a sword strike and slay you? It's interesting that he says it's just the shadow of death. And that's exactly why as believers, we are not to be of this world and the things of this world. And yet while we are here, we're just to hold on to these things with open hands. Because this isn't our home. Everything that happens to us here, in essence, in our big picture, is just a shadow. This is an encouraging verse. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That's here. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves will not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if our treasure is set on the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want. Then the persecutions of this world, in essence, are only a shadow. And shadows can't kill us. And again, we can say, I fear no evil, for you are with me. When this world comes against us like beasts of prey, we're told, like ravenous wolves, we can sit there and rest assured that he is with me. I need not to fear evil. 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is within you than he that is in this world. And the nature of evil is to deceive us. It's to deny us from understanding this. It tries to hide the truth. That's why it does it in darkness and in shadows. But God is light and in him there is no darkness. We have complete victory. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have you ever thought about this verse? Wondered, what, what exactly does that mean? The rod and staff, they comfort me. The rod and staff are, in essence, just the shepherd's equipment. They use them to protect and guide the sheep in various situations. The rod was more for defense. It was like a stick or a club, and they used it to beat off enemies. And the staff they used for guidance and direction if they needed to kind of pull or push or grab down something. So they're just tools. And with sheep, and, and sometimes us, all it takes is a gentle touch or a kind word maybe to get us back on track. But sometimes the Lord needs to use his staff and his rod on his little sheep to get them back on track. I know in my life I've, I've had the rod and the staff a few times. And as I do get older and as I do get a bigger perspective and I do see how God's faithfulness has been working in my life, I get to look back and I can say with a pure heart, they comforted me. We all need it. 
That's the truth. We need, we need a shepherd with a staff and a rod to protect and to guide us, to snatch us out of those deep waters when we're feeling heavy, to get us off that high ledge before we jump. But either way, no matter what, he's protecting us, and protect us he must. The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour some little sheep. And protect us he does. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I mean, what an amazing shepherd he is, willing to protect us, defend us, watch over us. He cares about us. And get this, not only does he protect us and care about us, but when we do go astray, it says that he will go looking. He will leave the 99, the rest of the flock. And and it's beautiful. It says that when he finds us, normally and probably on our backs, way in deep water, when he finds us, he says that he's going to come and pick us up and throw us over his shoulder. I mean, come on. If I was shepherd, I'd get out of here. You're going home. You. It's in Luke 15, 5. He says, when he founds, he lays on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together, guys, guys, friends, neighbors, get this. He says, he's saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He is a good shepherd. The one who will not give up on you. The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd. Wandering in this world can be harmful. I think we know that. Sometimes when we're lost, we can't even walk. We need a shepherd who's going to come and just pick us up. So he uses the staff and his rod for our good. He doesn't use it to hurt us. He doesn't use it to harm us, but to protect us to lead us, lead us in truth, to guide us, to walk in the Spirit. True story about shepherds and sheep. Oftentimes, what a good shepherd would have to do if he had a young sheep that was prone to stray is he would take the young lamb and he would actually have to break its leg. And in in doing that, he would instantly then mend the leg and get it set so it could heal. <clears throat> but yet it would prevent that young sheep that was just prone to wander. That was me. Prone to wander. And he would break that, mend it, and then the shepherd would take this healing time to love and to nourish and to cradle. He would carry that sheep around. He would feed that sheep. And during this healing time, the sheep would bond to that shepherd. The bond would become so strong that once he was fully healed and able to run around, that sheep would never leave the shepherd's side again. Job 5, 17 through 18, how blessed is the man whom God corrects. Should I say that again? How blessed is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Breaking a sheep leg, I must admit, seems a bit harsh. Yet the shepherd knows 
that it is better for the sheep to suffer temporary pain than to wander into the wilderness. So, rest assured through the promises of God's words, when He corrects us, He will not leave us broken. He will bind us. He will heal us. It is for our good. And once we have healed, we will cling to His side. The result of godly discipline is the fruitful peace of righteousness. How invaluable is the man who God corrects? Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He's changing scenes. He's going to draw us out of the pasture here. Now he's kind of, in my mind, it's a banquet hall. It's lavish and, and it's beautiful. And I used to love this verse because I always thought, oh, he's going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And it was almost like a snubbery on my enemies. Ha, ha, ha. Eating my roast beef. Look at you enemies. Look at what the Lord's doing for me over here. And studying this, you know what this verse means? He will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That God's not always going to remove you from difficult situations in the presence of my enemies, that when you are surrounded with enemies and things aren't ideal, he's saying, I will sustain you, but I'm going to leave you there. I will take care of you in the presence of what's going on. Eat up. And sometimes that's hard for me because sometimes I'm just like, I just want to be removed. He's saying, no, no, no. My provision's good. The battle will remain, and I'm going to leave you in it because I need you there. Will you rely on me? Will you go back to verse 1 and say, The Lord is my shepherd? He'll care for us. Won't always remove us. You have anointed my head with oil. This is just a, a sweet and kind action. It's, it was common in those days if you had a guest or somebody of honor that you would anoint their head with oil. It was soothing. It was comforting. It was to show them respect. Just a, It was a nice thing to do. He's saying that not only will I protect and guide you, but I'm going to do it in such a way to where it'll be nice. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to do it with caring love. Pretty good shepherd. My cup overflows. This cup that's overflowing is the symbolicness of our joy. As Christians, our lives should be spilling over with joy. Joy, this type of joy, it's more of a characteristic. It's not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. It comes and goes. Joy needs to be a characteristic of a believer. We have a living hope in us. He says, my, my joy, my cup runs over. Now, if you're at all like me, you might sit here and think, well, that's neat. My cup runs over, but oftentimes in my life, it feels like I have a fairly small cup. <laughs> my cup doesn't hold that much. That's neat. My cup runs over, but I just got a little cup. And I'll tell you, whether you have a big cup, a small cup, it holds a lot, a little, it leaks a little. No matter what your cup is like, no matter what, he says, it can overflow a whole lot. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. This is an abundant, overflowing life. 
In church, this world could benefit greatly. How many over here? I don't know, 150? Can you imagine 150 cups splashing over, spilling over, hitting maybe people's shoes and cups? The world needs believers that are overflowing with the joy and the love of Christ. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord's good, loyal love will go with us. It was David through all his life. God's blessings remain on people no matter what the circumstance. John 14, 2-3 says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. We know the way because he guides us. The fact is we're not pedigree sheep. We're just average common sheep. The fact is sheep aren't worth that much anyways. But we do have a wonderful shepherd who places much worth, therefore gives us great value. He treasures us. He loves us, protects us, and guides us. And he is preparing a place for us. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This chapter is an uh, an if and then. A cause and effect chapter. And the question is, it all hinges on this, I warned you, is the Lord your shepherd? Can you say, then I shall not want? Because if the Lord is on his appropriate throne, he will be our shepherd. We need to follow. And if you can say that, then all the wonderful promises, the proclamations made in this chapter are yours. And if you can't say that, today is a day of redemption. We need a shepherd. If you are tired and you're worn out and you're drained and you're on your back and maybe you're looking like you're not, sheep need a shepherd. And his love is sufficient. I encourage you to talk to one of our pastors. Our prayer team will be up here. If you need just prayer or encouragement, you can also come to the prayer team. Sheep, shall we close in prayer? Dearly, Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for giving us an analogy of sheep and, and for truly being the good shepherd that we can look to for everything we need. Lord, that in and of ourselves we are lost and worthless. Lord, in and of ourselves we really don't have much to offer or have much value, but you place upon us great worth. Lord, you calling us to yourself saving us and guiding us and protecting us. Lord, we're thankful. Lord, let us live it out. Let us live with confidence and and a boldness for who you are. Lord, I want to pray for all the people in this room. Lord, all the relationships, all the marriages, all the families. Lord, that your hand would be upon them this week, that you'd bless them richly, grow them, and let them thrive within your will for what you would have for them. 
Lord, it's in your son's name, the name that is above all other names that we all say. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful week.